This is Stories of Strength by MuscleTech. Personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. Welcome to Season 2 of Stories of Strength, a podcast where we share personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. I'm your host, Jay Cardiello, and joining me to kick off this new series is a living legend. With us is author, pastor, and former United States Army Ranger, whose involvement in the Battle of Mogadishu in 1993 was portrayed in the movie Black Hawk Down. It's Army Ranger, Hall of Famer, and fellow podcaster, Jeff Struker. Jeff, it's an honor to have you on your show. And first off, I want to say thank you so much for not only your service to America, but also your service to community. Yeah, man, it was, it's great to be with you. And of course, I was honored to do it. Uh, thank you again. So I want to jump right into your childhood. Your involvement with the Army is obviously such a huge part of who you are today. But let's rewind a bit before we get there. What was your childhood like? It was pretty tumultuous. <laughs> I didn't grow up in a, a family of faith. And my parents divorced when I was pretty young. Mm-hmm. The only reason I mention that is because I live with my mother, half of my siblings live with my father, and my mom moved literally every time she found a better job offer. So before wow. finishing high school, I moved 22 times. 22 times? four <laughs> high schools in three states. Yeah. Wow. Wow. 22 times. That's a, that's a lot of moving around. You probably yeah. established some friendships and then you had to expedite yeah. them and then go on. <laughs> Yeah, wow. I don't know what the record is, but that might be close to it. <laughs> That's the most I've ever heard in my life. Well, uh, now, when you were a teenager, you had a crippling fear. What was that and how did you overcome it? Yeah, my fear. And actually, I don't, this came back, this, this came about before my teen years. I don't even remember how far back this started, but my earliest memory was having this paralyzing fear of dying. Wow. And I say that because I didn't grow up in this family of faith, which means uh, I really wrestled with what happens to you after you die. And I, I didn't have any answers. I mean, I tried to ask my family or I asked people that I knew, where do you go? What is it like after you die? And nobody could really give me answers. I mean, they all gave me the kind of standard answers about heaven that you would see in a cartoon, but it never really settled this gnawing fear inside of me that one... I know I'm going to die. And two, I have no idea what it's, what happens to you after that. Wow. That is a crippling fear as you're growing up. I can definitely see how that could maybe disrupt your childhood as growing up, especially if you're moving around and don't have that stability with friends and family. I can understand that. So when was the moment you first knew you wanted to enlist? (laughs) I didn't really plan on enlisting. It was almost kind of as a whim I was still a senior in high school. I had never thought about the military. And my buddy in my senior year of high school, his name was Tony. Tony just out of the blue enlisted in the army and he came back to school the next day and he was like, hey, Jeff, I just joined up. You should join up too. What Tony didn't tell me is the army was giving him extra money if he could recruit his idiot (laughs) friends to join join the army too. So I just went like out of the blue to the recruiter's office and and asked them a simple question, which was, what is the toughest job in the Army? And from that, I ended up, you know, right after high school, uh, showing up to Fort Benning, Georgia and starting my Army career. Well, that's amazing. It's um, interesting, too, because that was the path that I was choosing. And when the, the recruiter was just about to come to my house, he actually had an accident 
So my life would have been completely different if he would have wow. didn't get into next come to the house and I would have been a, a fellow serviceman with you. So yeah. congratulations on that. Thank you. What was, the, what was the journey you experienced that brought you to become an Army Ranger? So I didn't have anybody steering me towards the military, which means I didn't really know what I was getting into when I went to this recruiter and asked, what's the toughest job in the Army? This guy steered me towards the Rangers. And I didn't understand special operations or the Rangers. So he was trying to be really, really above board with me. And he, he really, I think, was trying to make sure that I didn't make a mistake. He handed me a videotape, which wasn't made by the Army. It's not propaganda. It's just go home and watch this documentary. And the documentary was an expose on Ranger School. And man, I went home and watched this thing and it had me hooked, really. I took it back the next day and handed it back to the recruiter and said, okay, sign me up. I want to try it out. I don't know if I've got what it takes, but I want to give it a try. That's great. And the plan was go to the army straight out of high school, go to basic training, become an infantryman, go through airborne training, and then try out for the Ranger Regiment, the special operations unit. But there's no guarantees whether or not you'll make it. We'll give you the chance to try out. But what happens after that is all up to you. How long is the regiment to become an Army Ranger? How long does that take? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot longer today than it was when I joined the Army. Usually, it's a, about a six-month process from the time that you start the Army to the time that you actually get assigned in the Ranger Regiment. It can take now nine months or a year. And if you have some specialty, like if you're a medic, a special operations medic, it can take up to two years. Two years. Wow. That's incredible. That's really incredible. Yeah. Now, I ask this question to a lot of the people I interview. How do you define strength? For me, strength comes from the inside. It has nothing to do with your muscles. Doesn't really have anything to do with mental toughness, though those things are legit. Strength comes from your character. It's true. And I think the strongest people that I've ever met are the guys and gals that are willing to stand up and go against the tide of public opinion and speak their convictions, even when they know it's not going to be popular and they may end up, you know, having to suffer for it. The strongest people I know are the guys and gals that are willing to stand up and to uh, say what need, what deserves to be said when everybody else is just going with the flow and trying to keep quiet. Now, expanding upon that, do you have any morning rituals that you may, uh, like I, I do like a, a 5 a.m. I get up, I do morning rituals such as workout, I do an incantation, I do my quiet time and then a cold shower. Do you have any morning rituals that you subscribe to each and every day to stay strong? Yeah, I have been a distance runner since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. So I get up every morning. The first thing that I do before I walk out the door is I spend a few minutes reading the Bible and praying. I call it my time with Jesus. And then after that, I get up and I work out. And I've been doing that really since I was about 13 or 14 years old. I do it six days a week. And the seventh for me is a day of rest. But uh, I get back after a hard workout. And I feel like after that, now I'm ready to conquer the day. It's true. Starting off quiet time or morning rituals or getting your mind right definitely does. You can win the, I always say, if you can win the morning, you can win the day. Yeah. So it really does start there. That's true. The Battle of Mogadishu might have been your wildest known battle during your time in the armed forces, but this was not your only harrowing experience you had. Can you take us through some of the other battles you fought in or general experiences you had during your service that tested your resilience and taught you about strength? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because 
Most people, when they recognize my last name, they associate it with the movie Black Hawk Down. There's an actor who plays me in that movie. Sure. But you just mentioned I, it. Black Hawk Down is not my only combat tour. So I went to the invasion of Panama in 1989, my first combat assignment. I took part in the in Kuwait, the liberation of Kuwait, Desert Storm, 1991. And then I, I tell audiences sometimes, and there's usually a slight gasp when I mention these numbers. In the last 10 years that I was in the army, I went to Afghanistan nine times and Iraq five times over those last 10 years. But for me, Somalia is without a doubt the most violent and probably the most difficult combat mission that I ever did. I did a lot in uh, five uh, U.S. wars, but Somalia stands above all the rest. It surely doesn't know. In, in my opinion, it does. Um, just from watching the movie, I, I just... I sat back and I was in awe. I had to actually stop a few times because I got choked up because here you are saying we're going in for 30 minutes and then you're there for hours on end. Yeah. What was that like? Yeah, we built this package that we sent in that day and we had been perfecting this thing. But what was different about the battle that became known as Black Hawk Down is we had basically always gone in at night under the cover of darkness, this is daytime, and it's right in the part of the city controlled by the bad guys. So all of us knew before we even launched this mission that day, if we don't get in there, get our guys, the bad guys, and get out of there in 30 minutes or less, this will turn south really fast. And sure enough, with one exception, when the Blackhawks were flying in and when one of those rangers missed the, the rope and fell into the city streets, except for that... For the first 30 minutes, we were taking this target down almost like we thought we would. And then at the 30-minute mark, Blackhawks started getting shot down. And not one, but multiple Blackhawks started getting shot down, which changed everything. And at 9 o'clock the next morning, I'm making my way back to the base. You know, the last Humvee into our base the next morning. Wow, that's amazing. What was your mindset every day for the years that you were in the military as far as how you lived or operate, knowing that the wars that you were in, that you lost brothers and sisters in arms? You know, there's no real preparing yourself for that. The best military training in the world will teach you how to react when the bullets start flying, but it can't teach you how to process the grief and the loss and the all of those things. So I say this because, you know, I struggled with the loss around me, like a lot of people did. And in Somalia... When people started to drop dead around me, this was not my first combat experience, so I had a little bit of experience on how to handle it tactically, but the emotion, the psychological and the emotional toll that goes along with it, I don't think anybody can prepare themselves for it. Yeah. Now, I'm always questioning this, is that how did you guys sleep? Because you had so much going on and there was, you know, you just, with your mind going 24 hours a day, how did you guys manage to sleep? Yeah. I tell audiences that we lived like vampires when we were over there, which means we did all of our missions at night and typically we slept all day long. When the sun went down, then we started planning. We did things in the middle of the night and then we tried to get back to the base before the sun went up the next day, kind of like a vampire. Wow. But as you just mentioned, it's a little bit hard to turn off the adrenaline when you just get back in from a target. So Everybody has a bit of a different way of handling that. Some guys read, other guys work out, some guys play video games. And I was one of those guys that had a habit of spending time in the Bible. 
spending time in prayer before I did anything else. So it kind of helped me get my mind right before I went out there. Through your battles, which one gave you that defining moment as an Army Ranger and your belief in God to want to continue to experience the mental and physical stress for so long? All of those wars that I just described were a bit different. The first one in Panama, I didn't know what to expect, so everything was new. When I went to Kuwait, it was such a massive operation that I was just trying to take in all that was going on around me. Somalia was very small. It was a very surgical package and obviously much, much more violent. For me, I think the most profound impact on me personally was not the battle in Somalia, but immediately afterwards, because I had this overwhelming sense of peace. And there was most of the night during that 18-hour firefight that I was absolutely sure I was going to die. But I had this overwhelming sense of peace about what happens to you after you die. My eternity, I had settled before this event. So the morning after the battle was over with, my buddies started coming up to me and talking to me. And they were asking me questions about what happened last night. And they started saying stuff like, Jeff, I listened to your voice on the radio, and when everybody else was totally terrified, you seemed like you were completely calm. Jeff, you have something, and I don't know what it is, but I want it. And I started sharing my faith that very next day, and I really feel like there was a moment where God just made it overwhelmingly clear to me. He wanted me to become a minister and spend the last few years in the Army as a chaplain serving the Rangers that I was once assigned to as an enlisted guy. We hope you're enjoying Stories of Strength brought to you by MuscleTech. Whether you're an elite athlete, weekend warrior, or just trying to stay healthy, MuscleTech believes in growing stronger together. Discover products formulated to help you achieve your strength and fitness goals at Walmart, GNC, and everywhere you find premium supplements. What made you go from an NCO, non-commissioned officer, to a commissioned officer, hence a chaplain? Why did that all come about? Is it because of your faith at that time? or? Yeah, it wasn't just my faith. It was more I looked at my buddies who were totally unprepared for the moment where tonight I might die. I was prepared for it. Those guys weren't. And it occurred to me, Jeff, they need somebody to help them be prepared for this. And you know what it feels like to be a ranger. You understand a few things about facing the fear of death. So you should be the one to help these guys. And that really is what stuck with me. In fact, I stay around. I retired next to the Army Rangers just so that I could hang around those guys and continue to make an impact on them. If God lets me until my dying day. It's interesting that, you know, regressing back your childhood, you had that fear. You didn't know what comes next. And then, then you now you're living each day like it could be your last. And you have that comfort knowing that you're going to join Christ in heaven. It's, it's a really interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. My buddies, if I could just add this real quickly. My yeah, sure. buddies, after the battle were over with, were asking the exact same questions to me in Somalia that I was asking my family at eight or nine years old. Wow. Because they were wrestling with their own eternity for the first time in their life. Wow. What are some military lessons and experiences that you feel would make better leaders and team members in civilian life? Yeah. One of the things that I learned vividly, and it, uh, I learned it again and again and again, I just saw this happen again and again and again in the military, 
is that the greatest leaders have something bigger than themselves that they serve. If you're the kind of guy or gal that the only reason you want to be in charge is what you can get out of it, well, you're not going to be the kind of leader that the people that are serving you deserve. The greatest leaders I've ever met are the ones that are serving because they believe in something and that something is usually bigger than themselves. Maybe it's the nation. Maybe it's a product. Maybe it's what they're their company stands for. In my case, it's my faith. But the greatest leaders I've ever met are all serving something much bigger than themselves. So you would say they're a bit selfless in a sense. Yeah. So I like to define it as you only have two choices here. You're either a selfless or a selfish leader. There's really no middle ground here. Maybe there's a little gray in the middle, (laughs) but chances are you're way on one end or the other. Yeah. I was going through some of your interviews and something really moved me when you when you mentioned this. You said that love moves people a lot further than fear. What did you mean by that statement? I had the honor for three years of preparing guys for the Ranger Regiment. I put them through this assessment and selection process, and I had some of the greatest warriors on the planet try out for the Ranger Regiment. It was my job to kind of weed them out and make sure that the guys that could really handle it made it through the program and those that couldn't, who wouldn't be able to keep up on the battlefield, they didn't make it through. So I used to say to, here's the answer to your question. I used to say to those guys as they started this ranger assessment and selection process, look, I have a very short period of time with you. The two strongest human emotions are fear and love. I wish I had enough time with you to make you love me, because if I did, you would serve valiantly, but I don't. So the over the next few weeks, what I, what you're going to end up doing is fearing me. But when you get assigned to that unit, you will find guys that you will love. And I mean, love enough that you're willing to lay down your life. Like Jesus says, the greatest love a human will ever have is to be willing to lay down your life for your buddy in the military. That's incredible. Now, when you retired from the military, you joined the staff at Calvary Baptist Church in Columbus, Georgia, and eventually became the lead pastor there in 2014. What inspired you to serve your community in this way? Yeah, I retired in this military community, the community that I spent most of my time in the Army. Here's the funny, the fascinating point about this. My mother moved 20 plus times before finishing high school, but then the Army left me in one place for almost my entire career. So when I retired, I wanted to settle down in this big military community. And really what I wanted to do is to serve my heroes. And warriors are definitely my heroes, them and their families. So the reason why I came on staff at Calvary Baptist Church, the reason why I lead Two Cities Church in Columbus, Georgia now, is just so that I can be around my heroes and serve them. Mm -hmm. Now, you talk a lot about your faith. Was there one time that you said, you know, for me, for instance, I came to Christ. I always look at my life like a tree and the trunk of my tree was athletics. And I always say, Jesus is a very jealous God. And, you know, the branches were just, you know, God is up there. My family's up there, but God came in with a big ax and just chopped it down. And I broke my spine. I had 16 surgeries to put it back together Wow! until I made Christ my trunk my life at that point, April 1st, 1996, my life at that point was just almost like just kept on falling down. And I want to read this passage to you. It says, Jesus, in fact, the great disruptor. Yes, he is our Lord, our Savior, and our Prince of Peace, but more often than not, our first disruptor. 
He is the one who often challenges our expectations, conventions, and status quo. And I felt that being disrupted as I was led me to Christ. Did you have any disruption or was it just something that you, I don't want to say fell into, but just came about with your faith? Oh, yeah. There were two definitive times in my career where I really felt like this job or this thing that I was pursuing was becoming an idol to me. And I don't use the word idol like a little statue that you bow down and worship. I mean, this thing was becoming more important to me than my faith or my family. One of them was just my career in the army. And I really needed God to disrupt that career and to remind me, one, Jeff, what you do does not define who you are. And one day you're going to take your uniform off. Nobody serves in the military forever. I need you to remember that you are more than just the person in uniform. And two, I was doing the best ranger competition, which consumed literally every waking moment of my day for a long time. And there was a moment where I started to realize I am thinking about this. I am pursuing this. I'm giving more energy to this than my faith or my family. And it became a moment looking in the mirror early one morning where I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I think I've just turned this thing into an idol. And it's dangerous for me to continue to pursue this. There's nothing wrong with this event, but I have let my heart become so fixated on it that it's now an idol for me. And both of those occasions, God disrupted me and put me back in my place and back where I needed to be all along. Do you feel today more people are coming to Christ when something disrupts or happens in their life like myself, or is it something else? Yeah, I do believe that God uses suffering and pain, or Mm -hmm. in this case, disruption as his megaphone to get our attention. (laughs) I'm quoting, of course, C.S. Lewis right now, right? Yes. The good times come and it's almost like God is whispering to us, but when our life is disrupted... It feels like he's shouting through a megaphone. And I think God does that sometimes because we're not listening when everything is going great. So, okay, Jeff, I I like to use this analogy. Okay, Jeff, if I have to get your attention, I'll rip the rug out from underneath your feet. And when you're laying flat on the back, you have no place to look but up. Now I have your attention. That really hits home for me because that's how I was. I was on my back in the hospital. And going through, you know, I broke my spine and uh, I had a prayer group come in. They say, can we pray with you? I was like, surely, whatever to do to get me, uh, you know, get me back on my yeah. feet. And it was at that time, it was like, wow, it was, it was a really big point in my life. Now, you're also an author. I feel like God has ripped the rug out from underneath me a time or two personally as well. <laughs> it's so true. What inspired you to write books like Certain Jeopardy, Falling Angel, and Blaze of Glory, to name a few? I started writing because I really wanted to influence soldiers and their families with my faith. And I realized a lot of them knew about me from Black Hawk Down. They wanted me to come speak to their group or their audience, but I'm still in the army. I can't possibly travel to see them. So I wrote my first book as a way of just trying to influence people, especially men, about their faith. Started handing that book out. My wife and I paid for many thousands of copies that we've given away. And then I started to realize, you know, my buddies are not reading nonfiction. They're reading fiction books, more like Tom Clancy or John Grisham books. So I started writing fiction books just as a way. Every book that I've written is just an attempt to reach guys and subtly influence them about my faith. Are you seeing more soldiers these days coming to faith? 
Yeah, the 20 years that the U.S. spent in the global war on terrorism, they were really polarizing years. Before the military was at war for two decades, I think a lot of guys and gals were in the military and they just didn't bother thinking about life and death and eternity because they didn't have to. When you knew that you were going to war, it was not an if, but it was a when question. A lot of people started thinking seriously about eternity and about what they believe. I saw some, not a lot, but some that shifted to the really hardened atheist and didn't believe anything. But more people than not started to say, what do I really believe happens to you after you die? Because I need to settle this. And I saw a lot of people start to make uh, big steps towards developing a strong faith because of the persistent combat that the U.S. was in for 20 years. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. Now, your podcast, Unbeatable, is inspiring people to never give up. What are some of the challenges of starting a podcast or that you have faced starting a podcast? Yeah, I'm going to tell you a secret. Okay. <laughs> it's now an open secret after I say this. <laughs> The whole reason for this podcast was also to influence people about faith. Mm. So what I thought is, if they don't want to hear me tell my story about my faith, maybe they'll listen to somebody else. So my whole goal, the reason why it's entitled Unbeatable, is I want to put a guest on the show that have gone through these incredible circumstances, just amazing hardships, and they've been able to come out stronger on the other side. And then I let the guests, I don't even do it. I let the guests just explain, hey, where did the strength to get through these hard times come from? Maybe this sounds familiar to you. Where is your source of strength? And inevitably, they'll talk about their faith. And uh, the whole reason for this podcast is to just subtly influence people for their faith. But I also want them to say, wait a second, if this mom can do that, or if this guy who's just a regular guy like me can handle what he went through, And maybe I can handle what I'm going through. So that's the second reason for the podcast, Unbeatable. That's amazing. And as I'm doing my podcast as well, I'm finding a lot of these people do have faith. You know, they've been through the hard time. We see resilience and a lot of faith is um, coming about in the podcast as well. Now, in 2013, you returned to Mogadishu for a film called Return to Mogadishu, Remembering Black Hawk Down. What was this experience like? It was intense. That's, I think, the best word that I can use for it. The story behind the documentary is my buddy, Kenny Thomas, who is like a best friend to me, like closer than my my own family. Kenny said to me, hey, Jeff, it's been a long time since we were in Somalia. I'm really struggling with what happened over there. And I feel like I need to go back and I need you to go with me. And I had just recently retired from the army when he started having this conversation. And I said, Kenny, do you know how dangerous this is? Like, are you crazy? We're going to get shot at. We'll probably get killed if we would go over there. And he said, Jeff, I need to go. There's something that's just not right in my heart. And I really need to go back and I need you to go with me. And I hope your, your listeners will understand this because that bond is so strong between me and him. It was, it was really easy after that. I just said, Kenny, if you need to go, And if you need me to go with you, yeah, I'll go. I just want you to know, we're probably going to get shot up while we're over there. Well, I'm glad you didn't. So (laughs) now there's a lot of our listeners, a lot of people out there growing through hard times right now. How can people find strength to endure hard times? 
Yeah. First, there are great examples around you. If you look for them, you'll find other guys and gals that are going through something similar, maybe not exactly the same thing, but something similar than what you've gone through. Why don't you reach out to them and ask them, how did you do it? How did you get through it? Because I'm struggling right now. Number two, the biggest advice that I can give you, what almost every one of my guests say is I needed help. And there was a moment where I just had to say out loud, hey, I'm struggling. Will you help me? And they would say that was the step, the biggest step in the right direction of starting to get healthy. And then third, and this one is one we've talked about several times now, I really believe you have to trust in someone bigger than you. And that someone for me is Jesus Christ. He's the one who goes with you in the valley of the shadow of death. So true. Going back to your number uh, two point, I always say the greatest strengths are arm's length. You know, you yep. reach out to people, pick up the phone, write to them, email them, text them, say you need help. It's, you know, so many of us men, we struggle with, you oh, know, when we're yeah. down that I can't get help, but I need help. To be a man, you you have to have someone b- beside you. And I always say, you know, you, you're the average of the five people you hang out with. That You have to reach out for strength at all times. Absolutely. The strongest step you'll ever take, the most important step you'll ever take is just reaching out to a buddy and saying, I'm hurting and I need mm. help. If you'll take that step, chances are they'll meet you and what happens next will be a lot better. But it's, it, it's for us guys especially is often the hardest step. It's so true. It's so true. With all that you've accomplished, what legacy do you want to leave behind? Hey, when I'm dead and gone, I hope the only thing that it says on my tombstone is that dude passionately loved Jesus. That's all that it needs to say. I don't, I don't need any other accolation, accolades. I don't need anybody else saying any good things about me. If it just says that dude definitely passionately followed Jesus, then I'm good. That is great. That is great. Jeff, where can people find more about you on social media? Yeah, the, the easiest way to find you, you know, I'm on all of the social media platforms out there, but the easiest way to find me is just go to my website, jeffstruker.com. Jeff, it was an honor. Thank you so much, brother. And uh, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks. It's great to be with you, man. I want to thank Jeff Struker for taking the time to speak with us today and helping us kick off this new season of Stories of Strength on such a high note. You can find his podcast, Unbeatable, with Jeff Struker wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're subscribing to Jeff's podcast, make sure you subscribe to Stories of Strength too. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Jay Cardiello, and this has been Stories of Strength, personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength presented by MuscleTech.